Hi, this is Brian Johnson, and thank you for downloading another episode of Device Talks. It's the diagnosis we all live in fear of, a cloudy spot on the MRI or the CAT scan leads to a diagnosis of brain cancer or glioblastoma melanoma stage four brain cancer. It's a death sentence. The five-year survival rate is minuscule. The amount of medical care is tremendous. Surgery to remove the tumor, chemotherapy, and then the tumor grows back and you have to do it all over again. It strikes the young primarily and up until now, there's really been very little hope for people with this diagnosis. Today, we're lucky to talk with Bill Doyle. He's the chairman of Novacure. Novacure actually has a treatment through the FDA uh, for patients suffering from this condition. It's providing some new hope uh, for these folks. Novacure has developed a treatment called Tumor Treating Fields, or TT Fields. They're low-intensity alternating electric fields that disrupt cell division through physical interactions with key molecules during mitosis. Essentially, it takes the cancer cell and kills the cancer cell using electrical fields. Currently, it's being used in conjunction with chemotherapy, standard chemotherapy, and showing some very good results in terms of improving quality of life and even longevity of life. As some of you who may have had a history with uh, loved ones with this disease, you'll know that any extra time you can get is precious and incredibly valuable. And that's why we were interested in talking to Bill about Novacure and about what they're working on because there's some very exciting developments uh, that they have in the pipeline. Brain cancer is just the first solid uh, tumor so that they can have an impact on. And... uh, We wanted to hear all about it. So we sat down with Bill last week and uh, had a a terrific conversation. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. And we're recording this uh, intro just uh, 24 hours after learning that uh, my favorite musical artist, Prince, passed away at his home uh, near Minneapolis. So rest in peace, Prince, and your music will live on forever. Thank you for downloading this episode and... I hope you enjoy. So the treatment that Novacure has developed, this is a treatment that's for what uh, most people would consider the sort of worst news you can ever get, right? You have uh, stage four glioblastoma brain cancer. Um, how did um, let's? I'm going to take this in sort of two parts. Now, we'll go to the tumor treating fields and and how Dr. Uh, Palti came up with that. But I'd like to find out how you first uh, were drawn into this. Your uh, this is not your background, correct? Uh, this the oncology space. Well, I was trained as an engineer, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, when I first met Professor Palti, I was working for Johnson & Johnson, and I was in the business development function, and I was traveling uh, around the world uh, looking for interesting uh, potential technologies uh, to bring into uh, to J&J. Um, I actually uh, spent quite a bit of time working on a project uh, that was uh, created by one of Professor Palti's students. It was in the cardiology 
geology area and uh, and met Professor Palti uh, during that time. Um, so I had a, a, an expertise in the use of um, uh, medical technologies to apply uh, life-saving therapies. But you're right, oncology was not my specific uh, expertise. And uh, about the time I left J&J around 2000, uh, Professor Palti uh, had begun to work on this project, and I'm, I'm sure he called a lot of people, uh, and I was one of the people that he called. And I, and I think as a result of my uh, engineering training, um, I understood the concept. Uh, I knew, you know, at... at, at you know, sort of the basic level, what an electric field was. Um, I understood uh, the theory uh, at the time of how electric fields could be tuned uh, to enter cells and interrupt uh, cellular division. I, I was very impressed by the initial uh, uh, both in vitro and animal data that uh, Professor Palti had generated, and determined that you know it, you know by no means it was a sure thing that it would work, but that there was enough evidence uh, at the time that it made sense to take the next step. So, what kind of person is is uh, Dr. Palti? Is he the kind of person that comes in and says, uh, "I have this unbelievable." breakthrough here that you need to see or is it I mean is it more of a soft pedal thing I mean how excited is he about the the breakthroughs that he has when he comes to you and how far along was he so uh, you know I think I can describe Joram Palti as an unqualified genius mm -hmm. uh, he is a uh, true expert, as I said, in the effects, uh, in, in many things, but certainly in the effects of, of uh, electrical uh, phenomenon on the body, electrophysiology, uh, not just in uh, cancer, but uh, as I mentioned, the first project that uh, I became familiar with was in, uh, was in cardiology. But I would describe him as one of these guys who is uh, incredibly inventive. Um, if you look at almost anything, <laughs> and this can be, you know, the pen you're writing with or the, uh, uh, you know, the recorder that you're recording this conversation, uh, and if Professor Palti thinks about it for 15 minutes, he's probably coming up with a better way to do it than we're doing it today. <laughs> now, not every one of those ideas is uh, uh, commercially viable. Some of them will take, you know, 25 years and $25 billion to uh, uh, to develop, but he's one of these guys who is always thinking based on first principles, how can we do something different and better than we're doing today? Right. Do you recall how he ended up uh, focusing on, on cancer cells in the brain and brain tumors specifically? Well, so um, he didn't start out with, uh, with brain cancer specifically. So one of okay. the interesting things about um, tumor-treating field therapy, that's what we call this therapy, um, and we haven't talked about it yet, but we're using low-intensity uh, alternating electric fields. And you know, for many people, that's not intuitive, uh, but uh, magnetism uh, is intuitive. So often I use that as an analogy. If I have a magnet and a piece of iron, uh, something called the magnetic field, uh, it's invisible, we can't see it, but that magnetic field will pull the iron to the magnet. Mm -hmm. um, an electric field is not the same 
some people confuse them. It's not the same, but it's analogous. If, if I have a plate with a positive charge and, and say I have a particle with a negative charge, an invisible force field that we call an electric field will pull that negative charge to the, to the positive plate. They actually exert a force on that negative charge particle. Hmm. And that's, that force uh, uh, is what we are creating inside cells with our equipment, and we're using that to uh, push and pull uh, charged proteins that are necessary for cell division, and by pushing and pulling them out of place, uh, rather than the cell dividing nicely, you know, one cell becoming two, two becoming four, which is, you know, the, the problem with cancer, uh, un, uh, uncontrolled cell growth, mm-hmm. that one cell now uh, dies during the division process, and one becomes zero through the application uh, of the electric field. So it's a very general um, mechanism, um, and in Palti's initial work, he showed that it worked on all the cell lines. He actually had a, a laboratory that he set up in the basement of his home, uh, and it worked on all the cell lines uh, that uh, that he's tried it on, and it's worked on every cell line that we've tried it on uh, subsequently. Um, we wound up in the brain uh, really through our interaction with the FDA. Um, you know, when you bring something completely new um, and completely unexpected, um, there's always questions, right? And there's, uh, there's, there's always um, uh, proof that is required. Um, and some of the questions here were, you know, will this affect the heart? Will this affect the GI tract? Right. Uh, will it have effect on other, uh, other tissues? And so it was really through the influence of the FDA that they said, okay, we want you to start up in the brain, uh, and we want you to start with the very sickest Patients again. This is not unusual uh, for something new, right. um, but that's really how we wound up uh, with uh, with GBM, uh, which was um, as a way to avoid um, the possibility of of other side effects. Now, I will say right now, all of those concerns have since been. Um, determined to be not issues. We, we treat lung cancer. We have open trials in ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, uh, mesothelioma. So we are treating tumors of the, of the trunk and abdomen with no uh, uh, systemic toxicities. But in the very beginning, that was a question. Yeah, absolutely. And does he bring a prototype to you or is it still a hypothesis? I mean, you're the first, I think I read you were the first professional investor in, in the in the company, so I assume he had to have been a little farther along than. Uh... Yeah, so I was not the first investor. There, there was a, a very knowledgeable uh, angel investor uh, named Leonard Perlhagen, who was a former um, uh, pharmaceutical executive who made the initial uh, investments. But yes, at the time that I invested, uh, as I said before, there was uh, uh, extensive. Uh, in vitro data, so, you know, Petri dish data, mm-hmm. and he'd also done uh, the very first uh, experiments in, uh, uh, in animal models. And what I really, you know, my investments led to the, uh, to the first human um, uh, clinical trials. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the, the gap that I helped to bridge. And then you ended up as chairman of the company. 
Was that a yeah, you know, it, it, it turns out that, it, you know, this um, is a, one of the most, if not the most interesting project that I've been exposed to in, in my career. It, it, here's an opportunity to um, create a new class of therapy. So when we think of cancer therapies, we obviously think of surgery, we think of radiation, and we think of pharmacology. Um, clearly, lots of advances being made, you know, particularly in the, in the pharmacology area. But this is a, truly a fourth uh, incompatible uh, modality. It's, it's a physical modality. It has not been anticipated uh, before Palti's work. Um, and it has the potential to be uh, used broadly uh, in in some of the most deadly cancers. Um, and the team that Palti had recruited was uh, an outstanding team. They had an outstanding uh, CEO, uh, Asaf Donzinger, an outstanding uh, chief science officer, a, a gentleman named uh, uh, Dr. Alon Kirzon, um, an outstanding uh, chief operating officer who you know, made sure all the you know the equipment works and is delivered. A, a gentleman named Mike uh, Ambrogi uh, and, and and many others. But one of the challenges always at, at the leadership level for these companies is that there's a conflict or or uh, you know a. a division between the time that's required to actually accomplish what needs to be accomplished to move the project forward right. uh, and the time that's required in order to um, finance the project, yeah. um, represent it publicly, um, uh, set the overall strategy. And Asaf uh, Donziger and I developed a wonderful working relationship, you know, 2003, 2004, you know, it's now over a decade, uh, where we decided to divide and conquer uh, that responsibility. Um, and it's worked out marvelously for the right. company. So that's how I uh, uh, became the, uh, the chairman and uh, how we split the, uh, you know, the leadership role at, the, at, the, at Novicure. Right. So let's step back uh, for a moment here because I've I realize we haven't actually sort of described what the de the device the Optune device that you have currently. Um, and uh, so I mean, if I look at it, you know, I think we initially years ago kind of said it was analogous to a shower curtain. I mean, a shower uh, cap uh, that that uh, had electrodes in it. Uh, but that was, that's very rudimentary. But why don't you describe it in terms of how you uh, how you describe it to people when they ask you what you do? Sure. So so let's go back to when I was describing the basic therapy. So the mm -hmm. um, the the idea is to apply these electric fields to the region of solid tumors, so the, the tumor itself, and also the region surrounding the tumor, uh, so that to the extent, you know, the tumor has spread uh, within the region, we can, uh, we can fight the tumor there too. Um, and in order to create uh, those fields, I, we, we need to um, 
I'll go back to you know the notion of electric field between two plates. So you know we're obviously not using two metal plates, but we use what, for all intents and purposes, look like bandages. Mm. Uh, so in the case of brain cancer, there's a bandage that goes on the left side and the right side of the head, and a, a and that creates uh, one set of. Uh, opposite transducers, and then there's another set of bandages that go front to back uh, that create the second set of uh, transducers. And then those bandages are connected by a wire uh, to a field generator. Um, the current field generator, uh, our, our Generation 1 field generation, generator, um, is carried in a backpack by, by the patients. It weighs uh, six pounds. Um, and the patients use this, uh, it, you know, it's a wearable device, and they use it all the time. Essentially, when it's on, uh, it's killing cancer cells, and, and when it's not on, it's, it's not killing cancer cells. There, there's a, uh, it seems to be a magic number around 18 hours a day that the patients who use it 18 hours a day or more uh, have a much better uh, uh, survival benefit than the patients who use it less than 18, although you know, 17 is better than 16 and 16 is better than 15, sure. uh, but 18 is what we really, we really shoot for. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a second generation device because one of our goals, of course, is to continue to make this uh, easier and, and more manageable uh, for patients and their caregivers. Uh, our second generation device reduces the weight by more than half, so we go from six pounds to uh, to two point six. Um, we no longer need the backpack; it, it now goes into a purse or in an, an over-the-shoulder bag, and that is now uh, approved and, and rolled out uh, to our European patients. And we filed uh, with the FDA for approval uh, in the U.S. And uh, um, you know, our hope is by the, the second half of this year, we'll be rolling out the you know the, the nice small light lighter device uh, to the U.S. patients as well. Right. And and I would expect over time, you know, batteries keep getting better. That you know, we'll continue to make uh, improvements and convenience um, as we uh, uh, as we apply our engineering to the pro- to the problem. Right. And I saw on your website, uh, you know, most of the patients have to have a shaved head, correct? And and the bandages are very, uh, very thin. And I mean, I, I saw one young man who was wearing a baseball cap and you could barely tell. He was, yeah. He so the, the, the bandages are, are, are like bandages mm-hmm. and, um, uh, the patients will typically replace them two to three times a week. They do have to make intimate contact with the skin in order to transmit uh, the electric fields to the uh, to the tumor region. And so, as the as the hair grows during the week, or as the the patients exercise, you know, uh, they will uh, uh, change the transducers. This is all done at home. They don't need to come to the hospital or back to a uh, a clinic. You know, either a loved one or many of the patients are. Are fully capable of doing it themselves, and of course, if it's pancreatic, uh, which is not approved, that's you know a trial or ovarian, which is also in trial. It's it's the same thing. The 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 bandages, the transducer arrays are bigger because we're covering a bigger area. But it's the same thing. You stick one on your back and one on your your abdomen, and then and then one on each side. Mm-hmm. So, so TTF, you're calling it essentially the fourth field in fighting cancer. Uh, the first three are, are, as you said, I think you said, pharmaceuticals, surgery, and chemotherapy. 
Um, yeah, well, I try not to get too pedantic about that because right. I, I have had people, you know, say, "Oh, but what about right. you know, vaccines? Isn't that the fourth? So I, I it, but it's 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 clearly a new novel uh, therapeutic modality. Um, you know, whether it's the fourth or the fifth, you know, I, I we we don't need to argue about that. Sure. I, I mean, I guess my question is, it could be, I guess it could be an incredibly dumb question. Is I mean, what what is it about the current standard of care that has left this opening? You think? Well, besides clearly, that, ultimately, people these are a lot of cancers people are 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 dying from. But I mean, I, yeah, I think it's as simple as that. I think mm-hmm. that we, you know, we we have learned, particularly over the last twenty years, a lot about cancer. We continue to learn a lot about cancer, um, but therapeutically, um, there are very few cancers still. Uh, particularly the solid tumors that tend to be discovered late, uh, where surgery is not curative, where we can offer patients, um, you know, an extended long-term survival. Um, you know, that's what, you know, the whole uh, uh, body of researchers and, and uh, people who are focused on this ultimately want to uh, provide. And it appears for many of these uh, cancers, the answer is is a combination uh, because these cells are so clever, if you will, yeah. uh, about evading, um, uh, you know, various interventions. Um, and, you know, I, I may not have emphasized this early on, but we're not focused on eliminating surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. In fact, we've shown that tumor treating fields works particularly well with uh, chemotherapy. Uh, Depending on the type of chemo, uh, we always see at least additivity, you know, meaning one plus one equals two, so you're always better adding. And with some chemos, uh, and and most notably so far the taxanes, uh, which also attack the same cellular mechanism, we see profound synergy. You know, which means you know one plus one equals uh, you know much more than two. You know, and and in the case of our our laboratory experiments, we see an increase in sensitivity to things like taxane by 1,200 times. So uh, there's a real opportunity to, uh, you know, we believe, um, improve uh, the care of patients with, with standard, uh, with solid tumors. And we can talk about our data in, in glioblastoma in, uh, in a minute. Um, importantly, too, we do not increase the systemic toxicity with this therapy. So often when you add two cancer therapies together, there may be an improved survival benefit, but many times there's also, if you will, an enhanced toxicity. We don't see the enhanced tox. So you, you get the therapeutic benefit without, uh, you know, as far as we've been able to uh, uh, discover in our work thus far, any uh, systemic toxicity uh, penalty. Right. Uh, so, I mean, while we're here, why don't we just touch on some of your data, uh, because I think it does kind of lead into other discussions. So you uh, just uh, study the results of one of your studies, the EF14 trial was released in December, uh, published in JAMA. Uh, congratulations. That's, that's very good right there. 
But uh, that, and, and, and that is our most important trial to date. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as I said, when we in our initial um, interactions with the FDA, we determined that uh, uh, for all kinds of reasons that we were going to focus on glioblastoma. Uh, this is the most common uh, primary brain cancer. Uh, it has a uh, you know a, a terrible prognosis. Um, you know, there's uh, you know at best a sort of single digit. Uh, five-year survival uh, using standard therapy, and um, you know the mean um, uh, overall survival, you know, is somewhere in the you know fifteen-month right. uh, kind of range. So, so it's, it's so we'll it's, go there. It's among the most uh, difficult cancers, absolutely. And 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 the study that you released, it was seven hundred patients, correct? And it was uh, basically uh, it said that it, it measured. Um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the oral chemotherapy, but it was the oral chemotherapy uh, in combination with the um, the Optune versus just the oral chemotherapy alone, and uh, you see it showed significant increase in both uh, progression-free survival and overall survival uh, compared to just using the oral chemotherapy alone. I, I just want to kind of talk un- unpack uh, the, the the statistical differences. Um, in terms of uh, this trial. And I guess we should note that this trial is measuring people who are initially diagnosed with glioblastoma versus uh, uh, recurrent, correct? Correct. So, so, you know, if I, you know, maybe chime in. So this, our our belief, because this therapy uh, compliance is important, as I mentioned, we want these patients to use it at least 18 hours a day for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no systemic toxicity, and it works with the chemo. Uh, we believe that the best uh, therapeutic outcomes would occur if they use it at the time of diagnosis. Okay. So that was uh, the design of this trial was to uh, uh you know, to prove or disprove uh, whether that is correct. Um, these patients typically uh, present or, or, you know, we're, we're all not getting uh, MRIs every year to, to check for brain tumors. So these patients will typically uh, present with a seizure or some, you know, massive headache or some neurological deficit. You know you, you, know you have a problem. Yeah. Um, the patients get an MRI, uh, and if the MRI shows what looks like a tumor, a mass, these patients will uh, typically get surgery almost immediately. Yes. Um, within weeks uh, of the if, diagnosis, right? I mean, within... Exactly. So, so these are the patients, you know, you, you get an MRI on Friday and you're in surgery on Monday. Yeah. Um, if it's confirmed GBM, uh, then the standard of care is to receive uh, radiation and low-dose uh, timazolamide. I'll pronounce the... the, the <laughs> The drug for you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I've, I've learned to pronounce it, um, and that they'll receive that radiation. Uh, it's typically um, the, you know, the measurement they use is gray, sixty gray, uh, and they'll receive that over a period of you know, four, five, six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, uh, they then, under standard therapy, will, will begin to receive higher doses of. Uh, Timazolamide, um, and that is the point where we started treating. So the control group received the standard therapy, which were the the normal uh, course of uh, timazolamide, mm-hmm. and the treatment group received exactly the same thing, 
but in addition, they received the Optune therapy. Um, it's important to note that they continue to receive Optune therapy through progression and that the treatment group, the, pardon me, the control group also received second-line chemo after, after they progressed. So it was a very simple trial um, uh, in, in concept. The control group received standard therapy and the treatment group received standard therapy plus, uh, plus Optum. Um, you mentioned that uh, uh, 700 patients, we, we actually recruited 695 patients from 80 centers globally. Um, and like most of these big oncology trials, there's something called an interim analysis that, and this is a statistical um, look in the middle, if you will. And, and the, the reason for these interim analyses uh, generally are uh, for uh, futility, so that if it's clear uh, in the middle that the therapy is not working, uh, the idea is not to put, you know, another cohort of patients through, you know, another several years of, of recruitment and, sure. and therapy. Um, our interim analysis was performed uh, 18 months following the 315th patient. Um, and a couple of important, you know, maybe historical notes, uh, the last successful phase three uh, trial in newly diagnosed glioblastoma was the, the temozolomide trial that's now over a decade old. Um, and uh, there has never been a, a, a trial that has been successful uh, at the interim. Um, that changed. So we, and, and the data, at the, these interim analyses, the data don't come to the company. They go to a, what's called an independent data monitoring board. Um, our data went to the independent data monitoring board, um, and uh, we received the, uh, the call from uh, this group that consists of a statistician, an oncologist, and a, I believe a neurosurgeon that, in fact, um, surprisingly, and, you know, surprisingly to everyone, uh, we uh, were dramatically successful after uh, the first 315 patients. So we had demonstrated statistically significant uh, superior progression-free survival. So that means just, that the tumor doesn't grow back, right? Yeah, yeah there's actually a, a very specific criteria that's used. Uh, these, this is evaluated by... Um, independent radiologists, so they receive a batch of MRIs, and, and I, I believe the criterion is that uh, the, the tumor has to grow uh, about 25% to be considered recurrent, uh, and as I said, that's evaluated independently, um, and that is the definition of progression-free survival. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting um, statistical measure because, again, it's completely independent of, of the investigators. But if you're a patient, what you care about is the, is the second endpoint, which, of course, is the overall survival, uh, which is, um, uh, you know, the time uh, and the improvement in, uh, in, in, in survival of the patients. So, and that, too, was statistically uh, significant um, uh, and superior. I think uh, what I'm looking at here is this overall survival was 19.6 months versus 16.6 months. Is that... Sound about right. Well, the actual um, FDA endpoint, um, and you know, because this is presented has been presented in different uh, fora along the way. But the FDA endpoint, the um, uh, the 
control was 15.6, and the uh, treatment was 20.5. So, you know, it was about a five-month increase in the median. Um, uh, Numbers that are also very important to the statisticians are the hazard ratio, which was very low at 0.66, and and we all know about p-values. You know, the p was Mm 0.004. But I think in terms of, you know, patient numbers, you know, the number that I find the most encouraging are things like the two-year survival. Uh, so the two-year survival in the control group was was 32%, uh, and in the treatment group, it was 48%. So, you know, you go from about a 30% two-year survival to about a 50% uh, two-year survival. And we continue to follow these patients, um, and over time, you know, we will publish the, uh, you know, the, the, the four-year survival and the five-year survival. Uh, and, you know, of course, the uh, um, you know, the hope here is that we will show uh, significant improvements in those longer-term measures uh, as well. But those are those are to be uh, to be reported. Well, that's excellent. I- I'm wondering, um, in terms of historically, uh, how does that compare to early studies on, um, uh, like? the oral chemotherapy or initial uh, treatments in terms of what they showed in terms of overall survival rate. Is there any way to compare how statistically significant that roughly five months more on a median basis is? Well, again, that is that is the control group. So okay. the control group is the standard of care. So that's the nice thing about a, about a phase three trial, mm-hmm. that you know that you you really are comparing apples and apples yeah. uh, uh, here. So you know again, um, we don't have to look back historically because we have a, a, a an actual control group in the trial. Uh, so you know I think the you know fifteen. Point six to twenty point five is the uh, is the number, and you know thirty two percent two year to you know forty eight percent two year survival is the you know are, those are the real numbers. Yeah, so I guess I'm just trying to gauge in terms of how big of a leap this is forward for uh, the the treatment. You know, I, I, I mean, maybe it's it's impossible to sort of get there, but I'm just sort of uh, wondering. Uh, how to put well, I, I guess you know there's some things we can you know we can say, which is you know again, in over ten years, there's been no improvement, yeah, uh, uh, at all, and and there've been many uh, different uh, attempts. Um, I think too, you know, our um, hope is that as we introduce the new device that I talked about, the smaller, lighter device that will allow you know more patients to have more, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Achieve the you know the eighteen plus hour a day uh, therapy yeah. um, and and continue to do better. So we're not we're we're really happy with these data. These are the best data, uh, best phase three data that have been reported in this incredibly difficult disease. Yeah. Uh, but our ambition is to continue to um, improve our therapy and uh, and and you know, continue to offer, you know, even more hope to these patients. Yeah, and and, and, and I certainly didn't want to make it sound glib. I mean, the, the people who get glioblastoma, I mean, they're statistically rather young, are they, aren't they not? I mean, any they're fighting for any amount of time they can get usually to 
be with family and loved ones and, and, and live as much of their life as possible. Yeah, so GBM is not a uh, you know a, a geriatric disease generally. Yeah. It, it hits the median age is in the fifties, you know, sort of the mid fifties. So this is a disease yeah. that typically hits in the prime of life. And remember that the data that we just talked about are the medians, yeah. right? So that means half the patients have done worse, and half the patients are, are doing better. And we, and we do see this long tail. Uh, it, it and we're studying that tail to you know for all the clues that we can figure out um, uh, with respect to, and again, the one that we see is compliance. The, yeah. the patients who use it the most uh, do the best, um, but these are the things that offer the opportunity for um, further study and, and to allow oncologists to, uh, you know, to really coach their patients to get the maximum mm-hmm. benefit. And, and when you received your FDA approval for uh, TTF for recurrent uh, GBM, um, they included a quality of life claim, uh, which is which is unusual, correct? I mean, is there? Can you can you unpack that a, a little bit? Sure. So 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 let me take you know one step back, which is um, again I think the most important data that we've published and the, the data that were published in JAMA in December we we just talked about. But when we got started, um, as I said. You know, there were lots of different concerns with the new therapy. So the FDA uh, required us to start with sicker patients, so mm-hmm. not the newly diagnosed patients, yeah. uh, but the patients who had already failed um, uh, radiation and, and chemotherapy and whose tumors were uh, progressing. So the first trial that we did uh, was, a, was a very simple trial. Um, half the patients uh, were receiving salvage chemotherapy, uh, and half the patients were receiving Optune monotherapy, so without any uh, uh, additive chemotherapy. Um, uh, These patients were very sick. Uh, 10% approximately were first recurrence, 90% were second, third, fourth. I think we even had six recurrence patients, so again, these are patients who... um, you know, we're, we're, we're really along the, uh, the disease path. And in this trial, uh, what we showed was that, at, again, going back to the medians, um, the median survival was the same between salvage chemo uh, and Optune monotherapy. It was about 6.6 months for the Optune and six months for the, the chemotherapy. That's statistically the same, even yeah. even though the, uh, uh, the Optune's a little longer. But we showed some other very interesting things, too. Um, the, the first thing... Um, that, and by the way, that was the basis of, of the claim, which was equivalence to chemotherapy with uh, superior quality of life. Because again, we didn't show any of those systemic uh, toxicities that you typically see with, with chemo. Okay. Um, I, I should mention there is one side effect uh, for Optune. I don't want to say that there are none. The side effect that we do observe is in a fraction of the patients, uh, around 40%, uh, we see a contact dermatitis under those bandages. So if I put a bandage on your head for two years, um, you know, there's some chance that you're going to get, you know, the redness. Um, and, 
that's typically uh, treated with you know over the counter creams and things like that. It, it almost never interrupts the uh, the therapy, but that is the uh, the side effect that mm-hmm. that we see. Um, but going back to this this trial. Um, the, the couple of other interesting observations was number one, we saw a dose response. So this is where we you know really observed that the patients who used it 18 hours a day or more actually did better than the chemotherapy patients uh, at all points on the curve. And if you used it less than 18 hours, you, it was better than nothing, but you did worse than chemo. So yeah. you know again, this points to the fact that what sounds obvious, but it has to be on to work. Um, and then the other thing that we saw, even in these very sick patients, in the control group, um, there were essentially no survivors at three years. Um, whereas in the group that received Optune, uh, there was a percentage, uh, about 8% of the patients, of all the patients uh, who were alive at, at, at four years, um, you know, and again, these are patients who are expected to have, you know, very few months uh, when they started. So there, there was a cohort of very long-term survivors. So um, that provided the, um, you know, the basis of uh, this initial indication, uh, but really the um, clues or the, you know, the real indication of promise that uh, gave us the motivation to do the EF14 trial that you know has been so successful. And so, the difference. Uh, what's the hypothesis in terms of the difference of starting the treatment as soon as you are diagnosed versus having to wait until it's recurrent? Do you think there's going to be a, a significant increase in overall survival, or are you not really allowed to speculate like that? Well, we're seeing it, right? Okay. You know, because the overall survival in the uh, in the recurrent group was uh, six months, uh, median, mm-hmm. uh, and the overall survival in the, uh, um, the newly diagnosed group was, you know, over twenty months. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we're measuring that from the time we started therapy. So it's you know from the time of diagnosis, it's actually a, a, a bit longer than that. Yeah. Um, and you know the. the the, the hypothesis, at least my hypothesis, is that the patients can use it longer. You know, they're better able to um, uh, keep up with the therapy. You know, this is a therapy that you have to change your batteries, you have to plug in, um, and uh, healthier patients are much more able to um, uh derive the benefit from the therapy because they can keep it on. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's almost, you know, I, there's no doubt there's more complexity than that, but, you know, I think that's a big part of it. Sure. And also, by treating it at the beginning, we can treat it with the chemotherapy where we've shown a benefit of using uh, the two therapies together. There's no question that uh, here that uh, uh, the two together are better than either one alone. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's incredibly exciting breakthrough and from what you're telling me i mean i wonder if if there's ever uh, uh, the challenge you know not to try and boil the ocean when you know you have this technology it's going to work across all these spectrums and i wonder just how do you guys manage your own expectations how do you uh stay one foot one step at a time or is it easy to do that well you know i'd say that you know we we are as a as a company, have two tr- 
tracks. Um, you know, track one right now is to um, provide Optune therapy for um, all the GBM patients who, you know, with, with on-label can benefit from the therapy. And that means training uh, oncologists, it means training centers, it means, you know, manufacturing equipment, it means uh, training patients, and we're really focused on that every every single day. We, we believe that this is the best um, therapy available uh, for GBM patients. We believe that based on our data, uh, you know, it's not based on a gut feel, um, and we really want to make sure that the patients who can benefit uh, have it uh, available. And, and so that's sort of track one. Track two, which is where I think you're going, is that, um, as, as I mentioned, we've seen this work on every proliferating cell line that we've tried it on uh, in the lab. And, and, and we have a long list of, of various cancers. Yeah. Our limitation is not a mutation or a histology. It really goes back to physics. We need to be able to surround the region with our uh, transducers. So we're not doing blood cancers. We're, we're not doing cancers of, of the bone marrow, but basically the cancers of the, of the head, the chest, and the abdomen, which, you know, include many of the, you know, of the, of the worst solid tumor cancers are our uh, targets. So here we are, uh, uh, you know, we're still a, a, an early stage company, but we're trying to be as ambitious as we can. So one area that makes, we believe, a lot of sense are brain metastases. So GBM is primary brain cancer. It's actually cancer of the brain cells. But there are many more cancers, brain cancers, that actually travel to the brain from other places. Uh, lung cancer, breast cancer, melanoma, uh, you know, are among the, uh, uh, the big ones. Mm -hmm. And we're in the process of uh, initiating a clinical trial to treat uh, brain mets. Uh, which are very difficult to treat from, from other cancers. We have very good phase two data in non-small cell lung cancer, uh, and we're, you know, working to determine what the, what the best phase three trial, you know, where we can contribute the most in, uh, in non-small cell lung cancer. And I think one of the most exciting things that, uh, we've described recently in January is, um, initial phase two data in pancreatic cancer. Um, uh, at a meeting uh, called ASCO GI in January, um, we presented data where we added uh, tumor-treating fields to the standard of care chemotherapy, a drug called um, gemcitabine. And, you know, it's phase two data. You know, we, we don't want to and, and, and you know, with phase two data, you know, you look for promising signals that will lead you to a, a phase three. But we saw very promising increases in survival um, and very uh, promising increases in the response rate. So the number of tumors that actually shrank uh, while they were under under therapy. So, um, and, and again, we know pancreatic cancer is another one of these most difficult cancers. So, um, so we're, you know, we're trying to do, we can't do everything. Um, but we're trying to focus on these very difficult uh, cancers where we think we can make a real uh, contribution. Well, that's terrific. And because uh, it's exciting to think of all those uh, cancer cells in those, uh, in those Petri dishes, so to speak, uh, the treatment working on all those. 
Uh, so I, I can't wait to, to keep following the story and see where you guys are going next. Um, that's all the time we actually have. Uh, so I wanted to ask one final question. Um, you're working with uh, with these people with glioblastoma. Uh, what have you learned uh, from dealing with these patients? Have you learned anything about uh, character, about life, about survival, and anything you can can share with us? Well, this is one of the great privileges of this project, and. At the end of the day, we are absolutely focused on the patients. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, our business model, but we send technicians to every one of our patients to um, deliver the equipment, explain how to use the equipment, make sure that they're compliant. So we have a very direct uh, contact with our patients. and. This is, on the one hand, a devastating disease, but on the other hand, you know, the, the character, the determination, uh, the tenacity uh, of these patients is inspiring, uh, and it is really the reason that, you know, not just me, but um, I think every employee of, of Novacure is so dedicated to um, making progress as quickly uh, as possible um, because uh, uh, these patients are such, um, again, such tenacious uh, uh, people, and we really want to provide them with the best therapy that we possibly can. And we want to provide it quickly, and we want to provide it in a way that uh, allows them to derive the maximum benefit from uh, from the new technology. Well said, and I, and I wish you the best of luck in that. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, my pleasure. 